This is Two Guys in a Bible. Uh, welcome to Two Guys in a Bible. This is a conversation on theology, culture, and God's Word. My name is Dylan Kennison, and I am joined by Eric Leupold. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing well. Doing How are good? you? I'm doing excellent, great, man. Bro. Excellent, Thanks, excellent. Um, we're really excited to talk today about uh, loving God with our minds. So we thought, you know, we're going through our different topics. We had, you know, list as long as your arm of topics. And, uh, and the very first one we wanted to tackle as we kind of think through and set the stage uh, for, for future conversations is, you know, what does it look like for us to love God with our minds? This is a, a biblical category uh, that, that Jesus uh, brings to bear uh, and that indeed is brought to bear in, um, in the Old Testament as well. And so there's a, there's a good biblical uh, thread that kind of runs through a number of different books in the Bible. What does it mean for us to love God with our minds? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so with that, uh, Eric, what do you what do you think about this, man? Well, first of all, when I think of loving, I think of loving with my heart, right? So, like, what does it even mean to love with our minds? <laughs> that's a that's a good question. Uh, yeah. So where do I even begin with that one? I mean, our our culture would say that love is an uh, emotional thing. So if I love, you know, I love vanilla. Or I love chocolate. It's, it's just an emotional attachment to you know something that's presented to, uh, to you. Um, but it seems like scripture, and we'll get through. A, we'll get into a lot of texts that that talk about it. But it does seem like scripture says that you know loving is a little bit more than just about feeling. It's it's kind of like um, a general uh, a will, willful action. Uh, or um, action based upon relationship. So, for example, where, you know, the greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbor. Well, those aren't just, you know, have warm, fuzzy feelings about God and warm, fuzzy feelings about your neighbor. It involves a lot more than just like that. It involves action, worshiping God properly, actually reaching out to your neighbor, caring for them, doing things for others before yourself, uh, things like that. So um, I guess that's kind of like what I'm thinking as far as the difference, you know, between loving emotionally and loving via action. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, would you say that there's, when we think about love, do you, you know, I, there's um, there's this notion here of, of love in, uh, when we think about action, we think about, you know, obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, that's right. It's really, uh, it's very heavily action focused. Is there any notion in Scripture at all that that where where we're, the the affections are engaged when we're talking about love? Uh, yeah, I would say uh, I think there's two places, but uh, one one in the Old Testament. So if you look at Deuteronomy, uh, I believe it's chapter six, um, it's where you know we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So. Uh, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty all-encompassing hmm. uh, to think about it that way. I mean, it says here in Deuteronomy 6, verses uh, 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Hmm. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about teaching them to your children diligently you will talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And then it says, "You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, uh, on your on frontlets, on your between your eyes, and write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates." So, that whole section there 
is pretty impressive because it's an all-encompassing the love involves every aspect of your life of your body your heart uh might and soul and jesus will will quote that when he talks about loving the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and then of course in, in this uh, passage from deuteronomy it involves teaching uh talking walking i mean it's everything everything lying down rising up every action of your of your life involves this loving the lord your god which yeah it's it's that's pretty powerful yeah right yeah totally and i think what's cool about the deuteronomy 6 passage in particular is like what what we have is like you were saying there's this there's this review of uh, what does it mean back up for us to love the lord uh the lord our god in, in this way part of what it looks like as deuteronomy goes on to talk about in, in chapter 6 is there's this review of the lord's words there's a review of the lord's purposes and and what we're doing really is we're passing them on uh, to to the next generation. Um, you shall love the Lord your God. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You're gonna, we're going to review them. We're going to review the words. We're going to review his purposes. Pass them on to your children, Deuteronomy 6-7. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Um, there's this notion in which uh, the, God's, uh, God's word is to be so worldview-forming that it's, it is that, it, it, it it establishes the categories in which we think, and and having done that, then that gets passed on to uh, to the next generation, which um, you know I, I I'm very encouraged by. So I spent a couple of years um, as a as an elementary school teacher, and so I you know I'd given tried to give some thought to this notion of like what does it look like to to teach you know generally whether that's to to adults or or to children. Um, you know, historically, I think in, in Eric, you're you're the you're the historian on here more than I am. <laughs> so correct me, but um, I think you know in, in most of church history, you had uh, children would be sitting in the congregation, yeah, right alongside their parents, and and yeah. both kind of being shaped by by the word that would be preached, yeah. Um. So so that that's not that's not all that um, not all that uncommon. Yeah. But what about so let's so let's talk about so that's the Deuteronomy passage. Um. Any any other thoughts on Deuteronomy before we move on to no, the only other thoughts I had was you, real quick. You mentioned about the involvement of children. Yeah. So we saw. Um, I think he, it's interesting. Uh, you know, obviously with the early church, you, you know, they're not all. They don't have all their church buildings built. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll keep it like that. Most of the time, they're in their house their house churches, yeah. right? So the opportunity to have children separated from parents would mm -hmm. not really be. A factor there, yeah. um, you wouldn't have these multi-campus structures right. where you could have a, a youth ministry or whatever. But then the other thing, of course, you see I think a perfect example would be Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where he even addresses the children. Yeah, directly. Children, right. obey your parents as unto the Lord, which would have been read. That would have been read publicly to the congregation. So the assumption there is when Paul's letter is being read to the church at Ephesus. Uh, it's a mixed congregation that right. includes children as well. Yeah, and and, and that'll be. I just think it's that'll be a uh, you know a, something we can we can touch on down the road in terms of like you know, oh, children yeah, yeah. and all that. But yeah. but I think in terms of what it looks like for us to to love the Lord our God with heart, <laughs> mind, soul, and strength, part of what that means is is making sure that it gets passed on. Uh, God's mm -hmm. word gets passed on to the next generation, whatever that looks like. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely, I think that's that's it's imperative there. Yeah, so. So with that in mind, though, we want to 
So you would agree we want to focus today on look, loving God with our minds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, that that passage, heart, mind, soul, and strength, we could spend a lot of time on each of those points. And I guess maybe one of the reasons why, uh, and, and Dylan, if you, if you have other thoughts on this, please let me know, but like the reason why we want to focus more, at least today on this podcast, about loving with our minds is because it seems like, well, we've got the feeling thing pretty well down. I mean, our, our culture is a very feeling-oriented culture. Hmm. Um, you know, loving this, loving that, having affections for this or that. And I, I think that the church understands that aspect of things, too. I mean, having a genuine heartfelt affection hmm. for the Lord in, in worship in, uh, in in all aspects of, of worship, really. So, but do you think, and here's a question, do you think that the mind is often neglected in our culture and in the church today? I think it can be. Um, it, it, partly it depends on, it depends on your heritage. There, there are some, there are some uh, strands of, of uh, Christianity in the, in the American church that historically, for whom historically that, that may have been the case, where, you know, there's maybe a, a notion of retreat from, from the culture and from the, from the academies because it's so secularized and it's going to hell in a handbasket anyway. So, you know, why do we want to even bother? Just leave us alone and we'll have our churches and our little, our little enclaves. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not by much. Um, <clears throat> so... There are some, there are some strands of that. On the other hand, there are other strands that that you know we we think of maybe reformed scholasticism and in its you know reformed scholasticism at its best in kind of a more reformed heritage and the heritage of of uh, Calvin and, and Zwingli et cetera um, at its best um, never did compromise the the affections for you know rigorous study of God's word and careful mm-hmm. thought. And, and careful meditation and, you know, what the Puritans called meditation, just deep reflection on passages for extended periods of time. Yeah, you know, I'm not talking about like Hindu, I'm not, Hindu yeah, not like, meditation. Not like all the ohms and the stuff ohms. like that. Yeah, none of that. <laughs> but like, but in, but in the Reformed heritage, you know, the Puritans can talk about meditation, but that's what they meant. It's just extended yeah. study of a passage. Um, and that, that can be a beautiful thing. We don't, sometimes I think the risk in our own camp, and by that I mean kind of the Reformed heritage, we we don't want to bypass this notion of loving God with our with our hearts so quickly, be, and precisely because some are are given to more overemphasized mind than heart, or you know rather than heart over mind. So, our, so our focus today, right, is loving God with our minds. We don't, as we go and unpack what some of that means, want to forget that the command here at root is still you know love, and and that this love is in some sense bound up with our affections. Okay, now having said that. What does it mean to love with our minds? Because, you know, again, when I think of love, I think of loving with my heart or my emotions or my affections. Yeah. You're saying there's this notion of action here yeah. right, when we talk yeah. about love. So what does it mean for us to love with our minds? Yeah, that's a, good, that's a very important question. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think that loving with your minds. Well, I mean, there's a lot in Scripture that talks about, you know, just, just trying to think some of the, some of the passages that might be relevant to that. Um, you know, we're to, like, for example, would be the, in the Philippians passage, uh, 
you can remind me maybe what that is, but it's whatever is good, whatever is wholesome, beneficial, think on these things, right? I think that might be Philippians 4. I don't, uh, if you find it before no, I Philippians do. Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. Can you yeah. read that one? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so Philippians 4.8 reads, <clears throat> finally, brothers and sisters, uh, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Um, that's the NIV, and mm -hmm. the ESV is is pretty much the same. It's, it's very comparable. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, and that's just one example, I would say, of, I mean, Paul, he would certainly uh, highlight the importance of, of, of loving affections and uh, uh, for the Lord, but, I, but it also includes thoughts, includes uh, thinking on holy and good uh, things. And um, as, as human beings, we are, we are emotional beings, but we are also uh, given a brain. We are made in the image of God, and I do think that, that part of that involves rational thought as well as the ability to communicate, so language. God is a communicative uh, God, uh, and us as creatures are unique in the ability to speak language. Um, and the same thing as far as reflection and the ability to reason. So um, every aspect of our lives should be uh, uh, given and devoted over to the Lord. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's, it's very clear that, that thinking on, on such things, and that can include a lot of different practical applications as far as loving the Lord with our minds. So let's, we, we can give an example. Simple ones would be memorizing scripture. Uh, that's a practical application. Like you said earlier, meditating, uh, which means uh, deep reflection on Scripture, uh, would be another one. And uh, one could even just think of, like, thinking of ways to apply God's Word to your life. So let's say that you read a passage about, uh, you know, loving your neighbor, and maybe it's, it's important for you to think about that, sit back and reflect, okay, am I loving my neighbor in my own life? Mm. And... You know, what about my my literal neighbor right across the street from me? What about my what about my coworkers? How am I loving them properly? So that that's a combination of reflection and a and a and a, a studying of God's word and and knowing what it says and how to apply it. So all that involves the mind. And you know, <laughs> we you can have a wonderful affection for people, but if it's not guided by God's word. And if you're not thinking about how to implement that, it's kind of, I guess, uh, it's kind of, it's unguided. It's unguided mm -hmm. energy. You know, I, I think I've mentioned it to you before in our conversation. One of my favorite analogies is, uh, is, the, is, the, is the pilot or rocket analogy. Uh, a person who's got all thrust and no vector is, <laughs> yeah. is someone who has... And that phrase has been used in the military, as far as I know, uh, a lot. But uh, all thrust, no vector means I have a lot of energy, and uh, but no no direction, no yeah. no guidance. And if you can imagine a, a rocket or a missile that has plenty of thrust but has no vector, it's just going all over the place, and it has no real no goal or guidance in mind. Reminds me, didn't, yeah. Cal, didn't what is it, Calvin said, zeal without knowledge is a sword in the hands of a lunatic? Yeah, it was <laughs> something like that, right? Okay, that makes sense. It's the same idea. It's the same idea, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I, I, you know, I'm sure she won't mind, but I will, I'll, I'll mention my, my, my middle child, my youngest daughter. Uh, 
she's a, a, a very loving person. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's five years old, and, and she often will uh, grab her brother and want to like squeeze him tight and hug him and put her arms around his neck and things like that. And he'll he'll get to the point where he's he's saying, "No, get leave me alone. <laughs> Don't touch me. Get away from me." Yeah. And uh, siblings. And then she gets upset, and you know, I talked to her about it, and, and she just says, "Well, I just love him so much. Yeah. I just love him so much, Daddy." And it's like, "Well, but you're hurting him." And that kind of love is is really unguided. There's no. I mean, you can't just squeeze him like that, you know. You say that you love him, but love also thinks about the other person and their needs and their desires. Mm-hmm. And it can't just be this um, fulfilling some kind of uh, an emotional affection in our hearts there. So it has to have guidance. Yeah. And I think that that we should be people on fire for the Lord, but that fire needs to be controlled and focused in a, in a very strategic way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so one, so the the verse, a uh, couple of verses that come to mind yeah, yeah. here is um, Mark twelve. So uh, Mark twelve twenty eight and and following is where um, one of the, one of the places where uh, this this passage in Deuteronomy uh, usually it's a, sometimes this can be referred to as the Shema. Oh, uh, yeah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord. So, sorry. So that's the kind of the the prefix for then this uh, notion of loving God with heart, mind, soul, strength. So mm-hmm. in Mark Mark twelve twenty eight says, and one of the scribes, I'm reading from the ESV, mm-hmm. one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, asked Jesus, um, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Hmm. So, so here we have like Jesus saying, here's kind of two different commands, right, of loving God, heart, mind, soul, strength, loving your neighbor as yourself. But what's, what's interesting here is that the first part of this command of loving God with heart, mind, soul, and strength is preceded by the Shema. It's preceded by what, you know, Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 and 5, right? Hear, O Israel, the hmm. Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's not polytheism. Yeah. Okay, so what that says to me is like loving God with our mind is at least partly a function of monotheism. Now, yeah. there's a lot more to be said than that. You don't yeah. just stop at plain old monotheism. But but loving God with our mind is partly a function of monotheism. The, this, this one God captures our heart. He captures our soul, our mind, our strength as, as our He's our covenant redeemer. He's, he's, there's no other gods like him. There's none, mm-hmm. right? And so part of what it means to love God with our minds is 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 putting ourselves underneath that fact that that this is this is good. This is rich. There is one God, and one God only. And it's and He is our covenant redeemer. Um, so yeah, I, I just think I just think that's really really interesting um, that it's it's partly a function of monotheism. Yeah, well, that's that's true, and. Uh... Hmm. That's definitely something I can think about a little bit more myself. I have never considered it from that aspect before there. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Um, all right. So we've talked a little bit about feelings and about the mind. All right. So how do they, but how would they relate to each other though? Uh, you know, you don't want to neglect one over the other. They kind of go together in a way like thrust and vector. So, 
but how peanut butter and jelly peanut, peanut butter and jelly that's true peas in a pod peas in a pod how yeah. many can we do here? <laughs> <laughs> awesome analogies thank you for for that appreciate that what, um what? yeah so what i guess i'm trying to what i'm i think is people may, may be concerned about is you know the the problem of you don't want to em- overemphasize one over the other or if you if you just go into uh, um you know in, engaging in the mind you might start losing feelings or you lose that focus on feelings and then then you're in trouble too i mean again you don't want that aircraft to have no thrust because it's going to quickly fall out of the sky uh there so keeping them in balance um but is there are they equal or does one kind of follow the other i mean is 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 the mind and the emotions are they exactly equal um do they influence each other or does one kind of take the lead or should one take the lead on that? What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that uh, faith that Jesus died for me is important to apprehend as, um, as, as fact, right? And so app- and part of, partly what that is is we're apprehending it as fact with our minds. So these are things that we believe, right? We, um, um, we believe that, you know, in the gospel, we believe that, uh, for the forgiveness of sins, Christ died and, and uh, Christ came and died and, and, and rose again and ascended into heaven. Um, and, and our minds apprehend those things as true. Now, the, the demons believe in shudder, right? We were talking about that before, yeah, yeah, we before the podcast, yeah. right? So, um, so it's, it's not sufficient to just acknowledge the facticity of the resurrection. Somebody could say, you know, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, but I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's not, that's not, um, that's not saving faith, no, right? No. So, so what? It, what's what is this additional piece, right? It's that he died for me. So what happens is the mind starts to lay hold of these truths, um, mm. and and that that even our apprehension of these truths is a gift from the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit um, regenerates us, awakens us in our in our hearts, and opens our hearts to be able to acknowledge these truths and accept these truths and realize them for what they are and realize see Christ for who he is and then we lay hold of these truths uh, and then having laid hold of these truths now our hearts the more we reflect on these things and, and meditate on these things and acknowledge these things and see Christ for who he truly is and the more that he he died for me mm-hmm. right and and the affections in in one sense can't can't help but be stirred now that does not mean I mean there I've, I've been to some I've, I've visited some uh, some churches. Like, th- there are some places in our heritage where, if you are at church on a Sunday morning mm-hmm. and you're not feeling happy, there's it's almost like there's something defective about your faith, yes. right? And you don't want to go that far, right? Because the, the, there's so much worship. There can be much worship even in lament. I mean, the Psalms are a great example of yes. that, right? Um, so, so we don't want to go that far. So I think when we talk about uh, what comes first? I do think it is it is faith laying hold of the fact that the fact that Jesus died and then he died for me and then rose again for the forgiveness of sins of my sins, right? So now having said that, we have peace with God. And that peace is is settling for the soul. It's a balm for mm-hmm. the soul, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's really where uh, at least I, I would imagine some of those, affections are coming into place and such that at the end of the day we find our happiness in god so that mm-hmm. happiness and truth are not or or love and truth or happiness and truth are not 
anytime we think there's a contradiction there, it's almost like there's something wrong in our thinking. There's something wrong in our system, because because it for for God, um, these love right and truth are never at odds. Or, or the glory glorifying God and finding our delight in Him and the fact that Jesus died and He died for me. These are not ever at odds. Um, so if they are in our if there's a if there's a dissonance in us, then that's something that we want to, you know, we would want to reflect on. We would want to unpack that and say, you know, what's really behind our our feelings that are our, our feeling that way? Um, certainly, it might not be. Nobody's, you know, we're not here swinging from chandeliers, but we have a deep peace uh, yeah. in in our souls, knowing that Christ died and He died for me. Well, okay, but. But what I mean, I'm sure some people, and maybe you felt this way too before. I mean, have you ever had those days where you don't feel close to God? Yeah, you don't feel uh, in love with the Lord. Yeah. Um, I mean, so is that is that a uh, a red flag where you would say, "Wow, am I am I really a Christian? Am I really a believer?" Or, I mean, how would you how would you wrestle? With that aspect of uh, a day, a day without feeling, not like you can't really fully turn off your feelings, but there could be a day that you're just not feeling uh, that the Lord Far is that the Lord is the Lord yeah. of glory, yeah, that He yeah. is in charge. So how how would you work that in, in with relation to your mind? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question, and the short answer is no. I don't think that you know if someone is wrestling through. Uh, feelings of, I mean, look, I have my devotions pretty early in the mornings and they're not all mountaintop experiences. <laughs> they're just not because, you know, I'm, I'm a bit groggy and I might not have had any uh, coffee, any tea, tea. You don't drink coffee? <laughs> I don't drink coffee, no. What's wrong with you? I know it's, it's bad. You well, can it's, get, you can leave now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, actually, I used to not drink coffee until really? like a couple months ago. Really? I, I actually didn't know drink. that. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know you just started recently. I did. I yeah. still hate it. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like creamer. I like creamer with yeah. Co- a little coffee with my creamer. Yeah, I just I'm a I'm a tea nut. So okay. anyway, that's um, rabbit rabbit trail number one. Rabbit trail. <laughs> okay. So there you continue. Sorry. Well, no, it's okay. So it's just not all my devotions are mountaintop experiences. But then I don't take from that or derive from that. I say, well, you know, conclude. Well, I, you know, oh my gosh, like, am I am I saved? Am I am I a Christian? Because you know, again, th- there are so many instances of worship in lament. Yeah. You know, think of Job. Yeah. Think of the Psalms. Yeah, though he slay me, the, I will the, trust in him. Exa- Amen. And the whole book of Lamentations, right? We yeah. we want to leave a this a wide space for worship in the context of lament, um, and that's just really important. So now, okay, so we're, let's say let's say we're in a bit of a rut, right? And now, what do we do with that to love the Lord in relation to loving Him with our minds? So an interesting passage that uh, comes to mind for me here yeah. is Deuteronomy 17, uh, verses 18 to 20. So in Deuteronomy 17, um, we're, we're talking about the, uh, the the first action of the king, right? So yeah. when the king of Israel, you know, ascends to the throne, the very first thing he's supposed to do is write with his hand a copy of of a, a book of a copy of this law. Now, when he says the, the text says this law, and it could be Deuteronomy, it could be the Pentateuch, but nevertheless, he's supposed to handwrite out scripture. Um, hmm. We download Bibles. Yeah. You know, we, we hit the little download button on our computers and it, it never passes through our minds. Hmm. Um, but, but here, Moses says, you know what, you're a leader, write it out, hmm. write it out. 
uh, you know, when Joshua takes over, you know, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, and then you shall make your way prosperous and have good success. Or Psalm 1, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So we're to think God's thoughts after him. So now how does that, how does that relate back to the situation where someone is, is, is yeah. feeling spiritually in, in a bit of a rut? Um, we are to, to think God's thoughts after him such that we refresh our own confidence that we are known and that we are loved and that we are redeemed. And, and reflecting on that deeply and, and going back to that well, go back to the cross, back to the word, again and again and again and again. And going back to that is, is nourishment for the soul of the believer. And from that mm. soil that, that gets, you know, that, that loses, um, loses encouragement from time to time, but, and, and that can be soil that can become fertile again for joy and, and delight in, in the word. Um, by, by going back to the cross, remembering what Christ did and meditating on God's word. We remember who God is and what he did for us. Though we were yet sinners, Christ came and he, and he died for us. That's interesting because, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, were you finished there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I just want to throw in, I was thinking about um, every time that the Lord spoke to the people of Israel, almost every time at least, he always first reminded them, I am yes. the God yes. who brought you out of, the land of, of Egypt. Egypt. Yep. So right there is That's good. a call to accessing your memory. Okay. Mm -hmm. Even, now this is interesting, even for those who generations came later, who actually weren't that generation yeah. that came out of Egypt. So he even tells later generations, I am the Lord your God who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians. And he would have been telling that to people who had not been there, mm -hmm. but they had been told the story. Yep. And I'm reminded, I think it may have been in, it could have been Exodus, but um, where, where the parents are, in, are told that with the Passover, they're to explain these things to their children. Yeah. Like during the time of the Passover, when their children ask them, well, what is this that we're doing? Mm -hmm. And they're supposed to explain it. Mm -hmm. Like this is what God has done for us. So all that involves... Uh, memory and, and and knowledge of of God's word there, um, and so when you said uh, as far as like if you're in a rut and you're basically you're using your mind, um, I mean, would you say that you're using your mind to, I don't know, take the lead if you will, like it's like your feelings are not there or they're in a bad place right now, mm -hmm. and so you are in a way disciplining yourself to think on God's thoughts to think on his word, mm -hmm. to remember what God has done, and to not let your emotions drive you to a place of unhealthy like despair, if you would. So it's almost yeah. kind of like the emotions can go up and down like a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And when you start seeing them get out of control and they start going down a bad path, it's almost as if like, God is telling us or commands us in Scripture to use our minds to control ourselves. I mean, mm -hmm. self-control is one of the fruits mm -hmm. of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. self-control would mean that if I'm driving along and someone cuts me off and I'm angry, I exercise self-control. And what does that mean? I don't, I don't get road rage and try to hit him back or do something to him. No, I might be feeling angry, but I take that and I submit it to the Lord. 
And so it's kind of like, okay, this is not a, a godly anger. You know, it says, be angry and do not sin. Mm. Um, you know, so uh, I think there's plenty of other examples where we can have emotions that get out of hand. Um, and we need to be disciplined in our minds to bring them back in line. I mean, thoughts on that? Is that... Well, yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. You know, take take every thought captive that's for, true. for Christ. And, you know, when we're in those moments where there's, you know, some of us are given to a bit of road rage, I <laughs> I, I confess I... <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, I no. know, it's bad. But, but, but in those moments, right, you know, what, what does Philippians say? Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's true. Right? And and so basically what we're, what we're saying in mm. that is... Um, in in the in that context, we are remembering our own um, our own shortcomings and our and our own our own uh, sinful tendencies, and and how despite that we were loved by Christ and 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 uh, rescued from um, rescued from our sin and its consequences, mm. and and so now we who've been forgiven much should forgive much. Um, now you know, go and do likewise. Yeah, um, yeah. So. I, I, I was wondering, I've heard an analogy given, I think it's a fair analogy, I want to get your thoughts on it, of marriage. So, oh, and, and you could use the analogy of work too. So, for example, there are days that I don't feel like going to work. Yeah. I don't feel like working, but you do it, you discipline yourself. I mean, because you know that, you know, you're not going to, you get fired if you don't show up at work, first of all. <laughs> right, mean, right. And, but you're also called to work as unto the Lord. Mm. You know, as Christians, we are supposed to work mm-hmm. as if we're working for Jesus. Yeah. But I think the marriage one might be better because, you know, do you always feel, and I'll admit this, I mean, not every day since I've met my wife did I feel an infatuation of love mm. and, you know, mountaintop experience, if you would. Mm-hmm. Um there i mean there's always what they call the honeymoon phase but it's not the case that affection goes away right. it kind of just it changes a little bit it becomes it, it matures and uh you know one can say that love grows but there are days there you know there are always days where you just don't feel hmm. that in quote unquote in love as our culture would be apt to say like i don't feel in love anymore um and so a lot of people in our culture it seems like guys i work with who are not christian if they if that feeling goes away well then it's over yeah. it's it's time to move on mm. because everything is based on that feeling mm. but the fact is, is that it seems like marriage is way more than that you might not feel in love all the time every second of the day especially if you're having a disagreement but um, you you have made promises to this person, your spouse, and uh, a commitment, you know, for richer or for poor, uh, sickness and in health till death to be part. It's not a contract where if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, I can back out. No, it's a promise where I'm going to do these things regardless of what may happen, yeah. you know? And so even if I don't feel in that moment like, Let's say to you, scripture for husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church. You might not always feel like loving your wife as Christ loved the church, but you're commanded to do it. And I think that if to to truly love someone is to is to act 
um, and one could also even say, act upon your promises. Mm-hmm. You know, so God loves us, and He acts upon and is faithful to His promises, His covenant promises. And in the same way, I love my wife, and how do I demonstrate that love through faithful, being faithful to my covenant promises? Mm. You know, and then will those affections come later? I believe that they will. I believe that they do come in line, if you will. I mean, you might not feel it, but if you are self-controlled and disciplined and um, and and stable, if you will, uh, I do believe that the, that the affections, the emotions uh, will follow. I really do believe that. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with that. You know, it, it makes me think of... Um... Tim Keller has a great book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage. Um, yeah. So it, it, just in, I know marriage is something we'll, we'll talk through in yeah, another will. episode. But, yeah. but uh, in, just in terms of the analogy of what it means for, for loving God with our minds as it relates to those times when we're in a spiritual rut, it can be, I think, analogous to, to marriage, right? Like in the sense, like you said, you know, you're not always, you know, feeling, uh, you know, burning with passion and, and the, <laughs> oh my gosh, like I love you so much. You know, sometimes it's like, we got to do these dishes, and we I'm just not. <laughs> you know, you got to do these dishes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll, no, I'll do the, I'll do the dishes. I'll yeah, I doubt. Yeah. Um, so without comment on that one. But. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but but no, um, yeah, it's 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 totally like that. So uh, Tim Keller gives a great analogy where it's like you know when you um, when a stream or like a, he gives a, this river brook analogy where it's like when it when a stream is young, it's it. It's, you know, rip roaring and it's loud and the water goes, you know, quickly through the stream. And, and over time, some of the, you know, the stream starts to erode a bit and things get a little bit uh, quieter. It's more like a, 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 a quieter brook and it's, and it's matured. Um, and, and I think that's, that, can be, that can be analogous in some ways uh, too. But it's not, it's not the case that, the, that that kind of passion and excitement and joy and happiness is, is gone. It, it, it's yeah. w- rather what it is is like you were saying it's it's this soil I like the soil analogy right this the, you have plant a plant can grow up and, and be tall and beautiful and then over time it can it can wither but but in due season when that covenant is kept and that covenant is that soil we want rich soil from that that's rooted in the covenant of marriage you know exactly like you know just like you were saying um, the the covenant sustains the love mm-hmm Right, the promise sustains the love. So, f- the the covenant is that soil from which new, uh, rediscovered affections can can grow afresh. Yeah. yeah. Right, and we can rediscover that love we have for our spouse. It's the same thing with loving God. Yeah. Right. So, it, in the sense that, that, hey, not every morning devotion may be a mountaintop experience, but go back to that again and again and again. Rest on His covenant promises in Christ, knowing what Christ has done for us, and return to that again and again. And that is the soil from which new affections, yeah. even for God, can grow by by laying hold of these truths with our minds and cherishing them until yeah. our hearts are, are filled with the joy that stems from confidence in knowing that we are loved. Yeah, I hear you. Absolutely. Now, so we've talked about the relationship between the mind and the heart or the mind and emotions, I should probably say. Um, but this is not, I don't think, we're, you know, I hope no one, anyone who's listening won't think that we're trying to idolize 
the mind or thinking how awesome the mind is. I mean, I do believe that that the emotions should be controlled and subject to us as reasonable, logical thinking people, Mm. Christians. We're not animals, right? So we're not going around Mm. just, I feel hungry, I eat. You know, I feel thirsty, I drink. I feel angry, I hit. Mm. I mean, that's what essentially animals would do. Mm. And we're called to be more than that. But that's not to say that our minds are without sin or not affected by the fall. And those are often called the noetic effects of of the fall. Do you want to enumerate maybe some of the ways in which the fall has affected our minds? In 25 words or less. In 25 words or less. (laughs) No, no. Um, Oh, gosh. Yeah, so in a nutshell, what we're basically saying is when when the fall happened, um, we, we think about, we, we think, you know, sin enters the world, right? And we, we tend to talk about the sin that entered the world as, you know, um, Adam's sin in terms of, you know, he, he, he loved God and he, you know, walked with God in the, in the garden in the cool of the day. Um, but then, you know, when sin entered the world, you know, he's, you know, there's finger pointing, he's, he's blaming his <laughs> wife, you know, you gave me this woman, you know, that kind of thing. And it's just, yeah. it's just terrible, right? And, and it devolves from there and then he's, and then he's cast out. Um, so we tend to think of the consequences of sin in terms of, um, you know, proper categories, you know, in terms of, you know, we, those who are in Adam and, and in terms of original sin that we, mm-hmm. that we inherit by virtue of being in Adam. And, and now, you know, we can be redeemed by Christ We're in Christ as opposed to in Adam. He, Christ is the second Adam, the new and better Adam um, who, who fulfilled the, the covenant requirements, the, the merit that, that Christ earned by fulfilling the law, by keeping the law, fulfilling the law and all the rest. So those are the categories that we often think of. But there is another sense in which the fall um, compromises our cognitive faculties. Mm. So there is a sense in which um, our very reasoning abilities are hampered by sin. Yeah. Right. So so now that being said, we think, you know, our emotions are ha- hampered by sin. You know, well, hey, when you um, when you say, you know, maybe you were talking to a, I don't know, somebody who's a teenager and this teenager says, you know, I really love my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Um, and, and now you say, well, that may be in which case, you know, maybe it's time to think about, you know, putting a ring on it. I, I don't know. But, <laughs> but 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 at the end of the day, so oftentimes, not always, not always. I don't want to say this is that that love is never genuine or true. Um, but oftentimes it's kind of like, yeah, are you sh- what do you mean when you say you love this person? Are you really sure? Yeah. Right. And you unpack that and you tease that out a little bit. And it can be sometimes it can be hormones. Right. Yeah. Now, now, sometimes it's not. But all that to say, those are the categories in which we typically think, oh, well, that's. There's, there's sin laying dormant here somewhere. Yeah. We don't think about the, the, the cognitive effects of sin as frequently. Yeah. Um, so this is, you know, I, I heard a really, a really great uh, example of this, and I actually think it ties back to this passage in Mark. Yeah. So at the end of this passage in Mark, right, in Mark 12, um, Jesus says to the scribe, he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So mm-hmm. let's, let's go back to Mark 12 for a second and read through the rest yeah, of the yeah, verses. Because I think this is, this is tying back to this question about the noetic effects. Let's do it. And the scribe said, this is verse 32. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one other besides him. Mm-hmm. 
and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all Hmm. whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, so Mm -hmm. Jesus is like, look, the scribe just gave a pretty good answer. Jesus said to the scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Yeah. Okay, now, in what sense is the scribe not far from the kingdom of God? Right? Is, is it yeah. the sense that, is it the sense that by saying, by giving the right answer, by checking the right boxes, the scribe has earned his way to be a little bit closer in? No, right? and I don't, that's not what that's not what's going on at all, right? So, here's what I what I what I think is going on with the scribe in the sense in which he's close to the kingdom. If he sees that this is what God commands, love God with heart, mind, soul, strength, and we see how the, the biblical structure of, of revelation is given, you, you start to see what the challenge is. If you see that loving God with heart, mind, soul, and strength is at the heart of absolutely everything, yeah, you start to see what sin is. Yeah. And when we start to see what sin is, we're getting closer to the heart of the gospel, right? Here's our guilt. It, in no small measure, our guilt is built into how we think. Yeah. Self-centeredness. Idolatry in how we think, how we reason. So an example of this might be modernism. Modernism starts with I. I think, yes. therefore I am. Or or postmodernity starts with I and says, I can't say anything about anything beyond my own interpretation. Reality is a yeah. social construct. So in both cases, modernism and postmodernism can be enslaved to the I and, and loving God with your mind becomes a question of epistemology. Right? Mm. Oh, well, I shouldn't say, use that word. So you can, if, I, if, I know that. Yeah. If, if epistemology is not a word or concept that we're familiar with, we can circle back to it. But in brief, epistemology is a theory of knowledge. How we know what we know. How we know what we know, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So here, great example of this. A guy named uh, Greg Bonson. Greg Bonson was a, a, a theologian, scholar. An apologist, right? An apologist. Yeah. And, and I, don't, I don't agree with Bonson on everything, but I, but I think here he, he was really getting it right. Yeah, yeah. He was debating a Jewish and an Islamic scholar. Okay. At the same time? At the same time. That's impressive. Yeah. So so everyone, so the Jewish scholar spoke and then the Muslim scholar spoke and both of them, because it can be, it can be tense conversations, oh, right? Quite intense. Yeah. So, so, so everyone was stressing humility in dialogue. It's, you know, we don't want to step on anyone's toes. We want to be careful and mm-hmm. generous in our language and discussions between members of the Abrahamic faiths. Okay. Yeah. Now it's Bonson's turn. What does he do? What does he do? <laughs> So Bonson gets on stage and he says something like this. He says, I agree that we need to have humility, okay? From a Christian perspective, the best way for human beings to humble themselves is to get away from the vanity and pride that arises when we have our own opinions and argue for our own points of view, given our own authority or insight, rather than all mankind humbling themselves before the word of God. There is no greater humility than to say, I do not trust my own emotions or my own feelings. I do not trust my own thinking or reasoning, Mm -hmm. but I bow before the sovereign word of God himself who has revealed himself, that I might know him, that I might know the truth that sets me free. So, Yes, I trust that our dialogue will be just that, humility before the word of God. Hmm. And that was his entry. That yeah. was his entry. And I was like, 
Yes and amen, right? So we don't trust our own feelings in the same way. We don't trust our own reasoning because it's yes. been impacted by the fall. It's That's been right. tainted by the fall, yeah. bent by the fall. Rather, we lean on Scripture. We argue from Scripture. We think through Scripture. Uh, Proverbs says, uh, as a man thinks, so is he. Right, mm. so we are what we think, and in Romans twelve, Paul writes, "Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds." And mm. that's what he's talking about. It's putting God at the center, even of how we think. And I think that coming back now to Mark twelve, yeah, that's the sense in which this scribe is not far from the kingdom of God. He is now saying, "Yes, Jesus, we need to put, we need to put." Loving God with heart, mind, soul, and strength at the center of how, of all that we do, including mm. how we think. Yeah. And that, once you say that, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That's true. I do wonder, I mean, I, we can't spend too much time on this, but I was just thinking about the, um, the back and forth emphasis on feeling and emotion throughout history. So, yeah. for example, uh, the rise of rationalism. So, rationalism. Uh, what in the 17 1800s mm. basically the idea that man's reason is strong and healthy enough to get us forward move us forward and to essentially save you could we could almost save ourselves through thought yeah. um, and I think uh, obviously that being unbiblical uh, and neglecting the um, effects of the fall on the mind um, the natural reaction the the pendulum shift was um, a revitalization of emotions, of affections. Um, we see that in the church and some of the, in the rise of, of that in the, in the modern era, just a very uh, emotion-focused uh, sense there. And now, and actually we seem like as a culture come down to that point now. The mind is, is often neglected and like with postmodernism, it's about a lot of times me and my own understanding of the world and there's really no, you know, there's no logic and there's no, a unifying narrative um and it's really just about feelings i feel oppressed i feel offended i feel this way and that means you're wrong yeah or or you need to cater to me in some way shape or form so i think and our goal here is to as christians we're christians right we're to we're to redeem every aspect mm. of you know and, and god has redeemed through christ every aspect of the human being like heart mind soul uh, and strength, and uh, so yeah, I, I can't I can't uh, understate the importance of of that. And you know, I was I talked to you about this. I think I may have talked to you about this before, Dylan. But when I was in Las Vegas, I uh, I got to see this um, this issue of, of emotions mm. and kind of individualized emotions play out when I had a conversation with some Mormons. Mm. So they came to the door, uh, two elders. And we chatted for three hours in my house there. And uh, I remember at the end of the time, you know, this one, this one kid, he was so emotional. But I really felt for him. I really did because he, he, had, he said how he'd gotten in a car accident. Uh, he'd almost died. And the one person that visited him in the hospital was a Mormon. Hmm. And he, at that point, embraced Mormonism. And he was very adamant. He was... He was so art articulate and so emotionally convincing, emotionally convincing that he had the Holy Spirit. He knew that Mormonism was right. He knew that Joseph Smith was a prophet. And, you know, he was basically making an appeal to me. He was appealing to emotion 
like how authentic he was. And he was being quite authentic. I mean, he had tears and everything. I don't think he was faking it at all. But, you know, I, I had to remind him that there are plenty of, of Muslims, extremists, who are quite also convinced oh, yeah. of their own yeah. faith. And I told him, I'm convinced that I have the Holy Spirit as well. Mm. And I try to ask him, so who's right in this conversation? How do we know what's right? And so it ended on an appeal really to God's word. Mm. Because he, at the end, the very last question he asked me was, if Joseph Smith was a prophet, um, would you, you know, would you believe him? If he was true, would you want to know? Would you accept it? And I was like, hmm, I was like, think about that for a second. And I, and I said, I held up my Bible and I said, if Joseph Smith is a prophet, I have to throw away everything that this book holds, mm. everything that's said, it's said in this book, mm. because they're just, they, they cannot be harmonized. Right. It's, it's not possible. And then we ended on that conversation and it was, you know, and I invited them back. I never got a chance to talk to them again, uh, sadly. But, uh, but you can see like emotions can only get you so far. Mm. And uh, even though the Lord may have saved you um, out of a horrible situation, and praise God if he did, and, you know, tears streaming down your face, keep in mind, though, that it really comes down to, has God spoken, yeah. you know, in his word, and can, can we know what he has said? And, you know, so it involves, it involves thinking through those things, I think, is, is part of it. And thinking critically, too. When someone presents you with something that's based on an emotional argument whether it's a, a an appeal to some kind of religion or some kind of belief system we definitely want to yeah i, I recognize your emotion I, I care about you um i affirm your feelings right now what you're what you are feeling but we've got to think carefully through uh um, all those things right and and mm -hmm. hold it to the standard uh, of god's word judging judging rightly and judging wisely yeah. by god's word is that is that fair? You think? Or? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I do. I think so. Um, so you know, I think to 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 go along with that, you know, what does it mean for us to love God with our minds, right? Yeah. We're we're talking here about um, you know, a, a lot of heady stuff. At the end yeah. of the day, we and, and and similarly with the goal of this podcast, right? It's it's not that we be um, masters of of the uh, that we we be a master of the word, but that we are mastered by the word. Right, we've mm -hmm. heard that said before. We we want to think to the glory of God, never just you know thinking for thinking's sake or as an end in itself, but to to magnify in our own hearts the glory of God. Um, studying Scripture, you know, some people think about you know loving God with our minds is is basically you know we w what they hear is study theology. Well, you want to love God with your mind, should you go to study theology? <laughs> um, and, and and well, now in one sense, right? Anyone who thinks anything about God at all, I mean, it, which is, that's basically everyone, yeah. is, is doing theology. That's right. Everyone right? does theology. Everyone does theology, whether we're doing it well or whether <laughs> we're doing it in line with the historical witness of the church or in line with scripture, in line with truth is another matter. Yeah. But we all do theology. And to that end, we want to do theology well. We want, you know, Bible studies, catechesis, books. We want to know key terms and phrases, justification, union with Christ, sanctification, etc. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, so theological study is a good thing. But at the end of the day, what, what is at root of loving God with our, with our minds, I think, is submitting our own thoughts and reasoning and opinions and arguing for our own points of view, submitting all of our, whatever authority we think we have, putting it underneath yes. the Word of God yes. and sitting underneath the Word of God and saying, Word of God, 
correct my thinking. Yes. Right. And and I can I can tell you there are examples where I've had to have my thinking corrected over the years. There yeah. are many many examples where I was like, you know what, I was wrong about such and such. And yeah. We, I mean, we can talk about what some of those are another time, but it yeah. has absolutely happened. Yeah. Um, Same for me. And but what a, what a good thing that is. Yeah. What a rich thing that is because that is, you know. God's will, even our sanctification. That's how we're becoming more Christ-like, thinking God's thoughts after yeah. Him. Yeah. Um, so praise God for those areas where where there is um, much where, where there is much to be learned, and that's one of the beauties of God's word is that there is always much to be learned. So yeah, um, that's why yeah. part of, partly why our topic list is so long. It is very long. That's right. That's right. And as we close up with this uh, with this podcast with episode, um, I want to do a little. Uh, we talked about this before. A little proverb of the day. Proverb of the day. Proverb of the day. Proverb of the day. We gotta have a little like we jingle need, in there. That'd yeah, be we fun. need to find someone. To <laughs> yeah. Squeaky, squeaky voice. Squeaky voice. Some kind of voice there. Proverb of the day. <laughs> but uh, I was thinking through some of the proverbs, and uh, I think this one that's applicable yeah. for our topic this today is Proverbs one seven. Mm. It resists from the ESV. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And as I reflect on that, you think about the fear of the Lord. Um, and certainly there's an emotional aspect to that, but it's way more than just that. We can talk about some other time. But like that's the beginning of knowledge. Hmm. The beginning of knowing anything starts with God. And to reject that, to and that's really the foundation for instruction and wisdom. But a fool is someone who despises those things, mm. despises wisdom and instruction. But fools think that they're wise and they think that they're well-learned. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, amen. <laughs> amen. That sounds good. That amen. Sounds good. That's a good one to close on. It is good. It is good to close. So, so yeah. So think on, think on that. Think uh, on these think things. Think on these things. That's right. <laughs> think on these things. I love it. And uh, we... Uh, Thank you again uh, for tuning in. Um, uh, don't forget to submit any questions, thoughts, uh, or comments uh, via email, twoguysinabible.podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Facebook page, uh, the number two, Guys in the Bible, or send us a tweet at two guys in the Bible. And uh, I think next time we're talking about, I'm not entirely sure, maybe marriage. I think it might be marriage. Putting me on the spot. Putting you on the it's spot. A fail. Hold on. It's a fail. That's okay. That's all right. Hold on. I got the that's agenda. A, we got. Okay. Uh, oh no. Well, hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. That's Herman, a big one. Who's Herman? Who? Her, who's Herman? Who? Who's yeah. hermeneutics? Hermeneutics. What? I don't know that guy. Yeah. So we'll talk. If you if you want to know her who Hermeneutics is, we will talk about him. It next time. Hermeneutics. So, hermeneutics. So until, until next time, then uh, God bless. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>